0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the SNC Lavalin Jody Wilson Raybould affair continues. Now, the people at SNC Lavalin are taking back their position on job losses. Also, April 1st, legalized pot goes on sale in Ontario. Will Hamilton be ready? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. snc Lavalin is walking back on a statement that it made, uh, the CEO made uh, last week, saying that it never cited the protection of 9,000 jobs as the reasons for remediation. To talk more about this, Peter Graff is with us, professor of political science McMaster University, and he is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. Happy to be here. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, uh, Last week when asked, the CEO, uh, Neil Bruce, said that uh, he never said or there was no issue about 9,000 jobs being lost or the uh, headquarters being moved if SNC-Lavalin didn't get a deal. Uh, now the company has come out with a statement, walking that back, but sort of, not really identical statements. It goes on to say, uh, the company had made it very clear to the government through its advocacy campaign that the implementation of a remediation agreement known as a deferred prosecution agreement was the best way to protect and grow. Uh, the almost 9,000 direct Canadian SNC-Lavalin jobs, as well as thousands of indirect jobs through its more than 5,000 suppliers across the country, the company still asserts this position. What are your thoughts on all this, Peter?
1: Well, I mean, it does seem uh, a bit bizarre that they can't keep their story straight. Uh, I, I think you can imagine that the, uh, you know, the departed empl- uh, employee last week who was saying that they hadn't made that the claim... Probably uh, felt that it didn't look good on SNC-Lavalin to be going around threatening, uh, well, I mean, not threatening, but, you know, making it quite clear that there's a significant cost, which, I mean, does converge on a threat. Uh, And, you know, probably wanted to make clear that ultimately he wasn't saying that 9,000 jobs would disappear, but rather than those jobs being in a uh, Quebec-based company, uh, they'd probably end up being in foreign hands, and so... uh, you know, those people who are very skilled would go and be working for their competitors, ultimately. Uh, I can imagine that this was not popular uh, with some other people in SNC who, you know, uh, clearly for the Liberals, <laughs> it made them look like they were lying in some ways or they had mis- misled Canadians. And so I guess that, uh, the people who are still at SNC level and that were aware of the impact of that on their relationship with the uh, sitting government. So what does
0: this say now? What are we to take away from all of this, considering uh, the CEO said one thing and then the public statement uh, a week or so later?
1: Well, I mean, I think the main thing is that we had a government which had no capacity on its own right to figure out what the likely economic consequence was and had no interest in actually trying to figure that out. I mean, to me you know what snc actually told them or didn't tell them the the thing was, the fact was that the political actors at the heart of this were throwing around 9000 like it was a real and solid number without ever checking it out or without feeling that they have a capacity to check it out and so you know at that level we see the extent to which uh, the federal government has a really weak handle on terms of the strength of major industrial players in this country we, we haven't invested in industrial policy, and so we don't have an answer and it may explain a bit the the movement of the government on this file. I mean, if the point was saving s n c Lavalin, you don't do that uh by intervening in a criminal prosecution. you find other means mm. to ensure the the success of the firm and that's to me has been one of the strange things throughout this is uh the continued re- return uh to say, well yes, but we must save the jobs in other places they have these agreements to save jobs. You know, which is fair enough. But uh, you know, you use the tools you have uh, to, to save them, and you use your industrial policy or other uh, features that you have. You don't in- get involved in criminal prosecutions uh, where that's inappropriate. So how do we
0: view SNC on this statement now, and how do we view the Prime Minister's position?
1: Uh, well, to me, it doesn't change a great deal. I mean, SNC, uh, I mean, I think we always assume that they made these claims, that it was going to have an impact, but you know what was the specific impact? Would it be those specific jobs were lost, or in the long run the firm would do less well, or that the firm might go under, and so it would be another company that took it on? It was it was never clear, and it's not much clearer now. Was this again? I think it comes back to the fact that the government, uh, you know, was willing to accept those numbers without asking or learning more about them, uh, and ultimately that that became a reason uh, for an inappropriate intervention on the part of the prime minister's office, or at least you know allegedly uh and more or less admitted by Gerald Butts's and Michael Wernick's testimony uh to put uh, improper pressure on the attorney general and around the holding of a public prosecution
0: uh are we are we um are we getting caught in the definition here? Uh, in other words, uh, the CEO said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you know they never made reference to 9,000 jobs being lost or uh, th- that the headquarters would leave. The statement says the best way to protect and grow the almost 9,000 jobs. So the terminology is the best way to protect and grow versus lo- job loss. It is does that mean anything?
1: I mean, I, I think really, uh, SNC Lavalin is in a a damned if you do, damned or you don't position on yeah. this. Right on the one hand, they look like they're trying to browbeat the government with the threat of job losses, uh, and that's not a good look. So you step back from that, and and maybe even for their own, uh, you know, if if you're trying to get people to uh, sign contracts with you as SNC Lavalin, you don't want to give the impression that you're about to go bankrupt. So <laughs> you probably yeah. don't want to have that narrative out there uh but when you you know pull back from that suddenly uh you're really uh throwing the uh the PMO under the bus <laughs> saying mm-hmm. that this whole story they've been telling about 9000 jobs being lost and that's a motivation to go and get involved in this uh, in this issue suddenly uh that doesn't look that credible anymore so i i, I mean i think they are really dancing around words uh uh, you know, it would seem that none of this is really that solid. I mean, clearly, an incapacity to bid on contracts for 10 years, if that was to hold, is going to have a significant impact on a firm like SNC-Lavalin. Sure. But uh, what its actual impact is going to be, you know, whether those jobs are, like, actually lost or, you know, do they end up people working for foreign uh, companies or, uh, you know, in this area of consulting is, you know, another question to ask. You know, what's lost about the loss of a head office and that Uh, Engineering expertise and uh, project management Uh, expertise—you know—you may have the people working, but you you lose the capacity to have a Canadian firm working on that. Well, that's also important. Uh, But again, I mean, we're really into uh, pretty hard to judge what the the Mm. ongoing impact would be, and so the numbers are, I think, a bit wonky. And again, it it comes back to why did the Prime Minister's Office accept those, and you know, given how important it was, uh, why didn't they take any? I mean, Jerry Butts was asked, did you actually? get someone to verify that it would be 9,000 jobs, and it was was like someone had asked him something he had never thought of before.
0: Uh, Do you think the PMO, uh, the Prime Minister's office, put pressure on SNC-Lavalin to correct this or to clarify it?
1: Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if quietly uh, a couple of people uh, made phone calls to say, uh, you know, this maybe makes you look good, but... (laughs) ultimately it's not helping our relationship. We're under the bus. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, particularly in a moment when, uh, you know, the question would be, you know, what is the, what is the future for SNC Laughlin? We've seen the Quebec government begin to muse that uh, they might be able to use their pension fund to, you know, arrange some kind of form of bailout or reverse takeover or what have you. So, I mean, uh, clearly for SNC Laughlin and its next steps, having good political relationships will be significant in its survival. And, uh, yeah when when a former executive comes out and says something that man, uh, damages your ongoing political relationships you probably do decide that you want to to clear that up i mean it's true you maybe didn't even need a phone call from from the uh, the the liberal party for them to realize that it was probably not great public relations for them uh, in terms of you know the government
0: what is your take on this ongoing uh performance uh, with the snc and jody Wilson-Raybould scenario. It it seems as if Justin Trudeau doesn't want her to speak, yet on the other hand, doesn't want to kick her out of the party, wants to uh, uh, keep the votes. It appeals to the female gender and the Indigenous uh, community. Is he trying to play both sides of the street here? Why does he just not either let her speak or, or fire her, get rid of her?
2: Well, I mean,
1: uh, Trudeau is someone who, uh, you know, has been a master of the public apology, but it's never really him himself that he's apologizing for. And I think in this case, I mean, there seems to be a real incapacity to uh, admit wrongdoing and use that to to move forward in the agenda. I mean, Jean Chrétien, you know, famously uh, said that, when you paint yourself in the corner sometimes you have no choice but to walk over the paint yeah uh but here there's, there seems to be so either there's something hanging out there um but you know i mean as you describe it you could say it was a very kind of clever plan but uh, you know it's not that clever in the sense that uh here we are talking about the same story 6 weeks later there's been a complete loss of uh, agenda uh on the part of the government they put out a budget last week their last one before the election Uh, It's already forgotten. No one's really talking about what's in it. I mean, presumably they'll be doing photo ops for the next month with some aspects of it. But uh, politically, I mean, this is just, it seems to be a dagger for this government uh, ahead of the next election. And uh, you would think ultimately the Prime Minister would see a point in uh, admitting some fault. I mean, there seems to be clearly a number of faults around this, some fairly serious in terms of uh, the independence of the Attorney General. But uh, in those cases, to say yeah, I did wrong, and I'll let Canadians judge me in the fall. Now let's move on with other things that are important for Canadians.
0: Are you not surprised that he has done that? Considering we've seen crocodile tears so many times from this Prime Minister, are you surprised? You know, especially with you know the self-described feminist and, sus- and such. Why doesn't he just apologize if that's what happened and move on? Like I-, I can't believe that they are letting this drag out. I mean, it's not it's not everybody else. It's they were it's their refusal to put it to bed. And, and by that, either let her speak. Can he not know what she's going to say? He must have some idea. Or is it that damaging that he doesn't want to lose the vote? I mean, can he keep playing both sides of the street and, 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 and the same course and do nothing between now and the election?
1: Well, I mean, at the moment, that seems to be his choice. It seems but, what he's doing, yeah. Uh, it, is, it is hard to, it is really hard to see, uh, you know, what he hopes to achieve from this uh you know and and again uh, it's within the liberal party there's this kind of continued desire to keep this on the front page and so uh we have uh you know the all the old timers uh, from the uh martin era you know we've got Sheila Copps out there Judy Scrow uh attacking uh Jody Wilson raybould and uh Jane Philpot and uh you know they certainly I don't think it's it's a terribly good look for them in terms of how it's being received by the public, but it also means that this continues to be news. Uh, you know why aren't they stepping down why this or that well it just keeps it on the front page is that
0: their responsibility like why are and you know I've, uh, why are prominent liberals attacking them especially female liberals cuz obviously they're smart enough to know that men can't do this but why are they attacking them and putting the onus on them to come forward and if they want that why don't they give them the perfect opportunity to do that isn't the onus on the prime minister to clean up his own house
1: yeah, it would seem to be, and you know, this is—I mean—there's obviously ways in which former politicians uh, may become freelancers. Uh, there's a highly partisan streak in politicians, and even when they're retired, and so they may, uh, you know, if they see someone being insufficiently loyal, they'll come and uh, attack them in social media. But it would seem that uh, there must be some central coordination behind this, and again, it seems to be self-destructive from the point of view. Uh, you know, of issues management, uh, but beyond that, I mean, you know, it's, we can't think of politics just as issues management. I think Canadians have been watching this; they feel like they deserve a fuller explanation. Uh, they probably also want our politicians to get on and, uh, you know, do other things we yeah. elected them to do. I mean, clearly there was a problem with the independence of the Attorney General. I mean, that as a kind of constitutional convention, we enforce that politically. So that will be on our minds in the next election about the willingness of the government to tamper with that. Uh, but presumably, uh, I think Canadians are ready to turn the page and are really waiting for the government to to move forward uh, and to, you know, get some signal from Trudeau uh, about how he saw the situation. Uh, Presumably some admission that he had acted improperly in terms of his his relationship with the Attorney General.
0: So uh, will she speak? Will we hear from her? Uh, Last we heard, she was supposed to give a written written testimony, uh, a rebuttal to what had been said earlier by the the Clerk of the Privy Council and Gerald Butts. Uh, Any idea when we'll see that?
1: Well, I presume it will be forthcoming in the next uh, week or so. Uh and so it was in that case it was mostly uh providing documentary or other evidence right. related to her testimony and so uh sort of filling that out. That goes to the committee. Uh, the committee decides whether it's to be uh, made public, but in you know the sort of tradition is generally being that that stuff is made public. So I I suspect that's the next stop. I mean the real push is for uh uh Wilson Raybould or phil pot to speak in the house. Uh, I think they've noted reasons why, on the one hand, they fear that may still breach their ethical commitments uh, and the the commitments they made when they became cabinet ministers, but also it's not an obvious forum uh, where they have the time to to disclose uh, and discuss uh, their evidence and testimony. And so I think in many cases uh, they're looking for some sort of more committee-like location uh, in order to to speak more. I mean, again, I don't know if, if... Canadians really need them to speak much more. I think they they're looking more for the prime minister to recognize what's been said and uh, and not simply treat it as you know some sort of misunderstanding uh, that happened, but in fact an uh, uh, inability on the part of the prime minister and the prime minister's office to to recognize the appropriate rules in this situation. I mean, it was really notice uh, interesting in, in Wilson-Raybould's testimony, the, the extent to which everyone always started the conversation by saying, well, there's a clear line here we don't want to cross. And two sentences later, they had crossed the line, <laughs> thinking that, you know, that was enough. And that that's a kind of, you know, behavior that I think uh, the Prime Minister should own. I, I, I don't think it's really going to be that top of mind in the next election, but it will affect how people think about uh, this government and its commitment to... Uh, upholding uh, parliamentary traditions.
0: What do you think Jody Wilson-Raybould wants out of this?
1: I suspect uh, at a situation like this that she hasn't slept properly in months. Mm. Is kind of, I don't know if she if she really knows what she wants out of it. Clearly, she's decided she wants to run as a Liberal in the next federal election. So presumably, she continues to want to represent her constituents. Uh, she seems strongly committed to uh, trying to move the cause of reconciliation forward in Canada. Uh, presumably, she also has a sense of her political career, but it, it's hard, I think, with uh, you know with the current situation where it doesn't look like Trudeau's going anywhere, to see much more that she's seeking for in this than a certain sense of vindication that she played her role as she felt was constitutionally appropriate, and that other people acted in an improper manner, and then uh, pushed her out of her role, not for not doing that role properly, but because she dared stand up for the constitutional principle. So I suspect there's a lot of kind of sense of pride and principle involved in in her decision at the moment, you know, not to make her into some sort of a superhero uh, in in the political realm. But I think politicians, as opportunistic as they often are, uh, when there's a significant point of principle such as that, will also hold on pretty tenaciously She's not someone who, you know, is seeking many other prizes. I think in the political world,
0: Peter Graff has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
1: You're welcome. You're listening to the Scott Thompson
0: Show podcast on 900 CHML. Are you looking forward to the legalization? Are you looking forward to uh, uh, pot shops opening up in uh, in Hamilton April 1st? I guess I should preface that by saying legal. Uh, pot shops, because uh, certainly there's been an awful lot of um, uh, those that have been playing in the gray area uh, between legalization and April 1st. Although uh, Hamilton police certainly uh, doing uh, their diligence in getting as many of those closed as they possibly can. Let's bring in Stephen Verbeek, consulting, assisting one of the stores, and is with us now. Stephen, thanks so much for the time, much appreciated.
3: My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me, sir.
0: So what is your affiliation with now? Is it one store or more than one?
3: It is just one store, unfortunately, but we're, uh, we're hoping to be able to add to that repertoire. But right now, uh, the way the lottery system worked was there was one store allocated to 25 lucky lottery winners, and we were privileged enough to be able to partner with one of them.
0: So, you, And you're partnering with which one? Can you tell us?
3: Yeah, absolutely. His name's uh, Santino Copolino. He's a lovely local gentleman uh, based out of uh, West Mountain in Dundas. Uh, so that was also part of the reason why uh, uh, we were able to use our location that we had uh, set aside for our flagship location if we were one of the lottery winners. And it is in uh, just inside the beer store plaza across from the Canadian Tire uh, at the bottom of Coots Drive in Dundas.
0: And this is Hello Cannabis, correct?
3: Uh, So It is a derivative of Hello Cannabis. Uh, Hello Cannabis was founded uh, just over two years ago, originally uh, with the one mandate uh, to run medical clinics where we essentially connect patients with doctors and products without having any product ever on site. We're more or less a middleman. I had a previous career in finance and suffered a pretty traumatic injury, so I happen to know quite a lot of surgeons and doctors in the area that saw my recovery using medical cannabis so they kind of converted and rallied around me as well to support this initiative Uh, and then uh, the Hello Cannabis uh, that initiative uh, blossomed into eight projects in three different continents over those two years um, where uh, we are now essentially involved in a a small vertically integrated system of cannabis projects around the world
0: so the uh, the medical dispensary is still open in Dundas correct
3: Yep, absolutely. And and that's
0: now it. you're looking at a second location for public sale, and that's the old beer store location, correct?
3: N- Nailed it. Okay, exactly. perfect. Within the same plaza, we have a medical facility and education center where we're able to take care of patients. And then just a short walk away, uh, we're able to help facilitate for the adult use people. So I believe that our, our, previous, uh, our previous mandate uh, in the medical field and uh, my uh, – more or less my role was to be able to differentiate between illegal and legal cannabis and differentiate between medical and recreational use. And there is an absolute ton of misinformation out there. It's enough to want to put your head through a brick wall. Um, We believe that we are in a position of strength because we have been actively engaging to try and educate people and deal with this misinformation to be able to facilitate both sides of the coin here.
0: What are you talking about misinformation? What do you mean? Give us some examples.
3: Uh, for example, uh, the dispensaries that are open in Hamilton, people are referencing them as gray area. They, they, they are not. They, I just did elite.
0: that, so I, so correct me.
3: Yeah, no problem, no problem. It's, it's all good. Um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because uh, I, if you're in Hamilton and involved in cannabis, you clearly know a lot of these people, and a lot of them are, are actually very good people and people I would consider a friend of mine. And from a business standpoint, I, I, have, I have to tip my hat, I have a lot of respect for the business acumen of some of them. I chose not to break the law, though, and build an actual career. Um, this is not a gray area. Um, they had uh, their their backing and justification as to why they were doing this was to give patients more access to medical cannabis. Now, I fully agree with that, because patients do not have great access to cannabis right now, which is why Hello Cannabis started, because we found a way to be able to help facilitate patients getting legal access to cannabis. So these dispensaries opened up saying, like, you know what, the mail system isn't working. We're going to sell pot out of the store to give patients access. Now, the tragic irony is is they were misleading people in most cases, forgive me, most cases they were misleading people by having health practitioners that weren't actually health practitioners giving, quote-unquote, prescriptions, which weren't actual prescriptions, to have people feel... That they have a real medical license to be able to purchase cannabis and use cannabis medically when it's all a giant facade. It's basically meant to be able to sell um, sell narcotics out of a store for cash, not pay taxes, have your, your employees as volunteers getting paid cash. And these poor people are making between 12 and $20 cash an hour and are now charged with trafficking.
0: So uh, how many of the illegal dispensaries were, were supplying the medical community? How many were supplying the recreational community?
3: Oh, great question. There is, this one's very much out for debate. I will flat out stick my neck out there and say, I would say the vast majority of people that were entering these dispensaries and using these dispensaries um, were not, I would not say that they were not medically qualified, but I would say over 90% did not have the medical clearance to purchase or use cannabis medically legally.
0: So uh, then, then it is a gray area, is it not?
3: I would say it's, it's distinctly black because you're selling a Schedule One narcotic without any clearance and operating a business that's not paying taxes or right. having any licenses or insurance.
0: Mm-hmm. I see uh, your point.
3: That, that's that's pretty illegal, if you ask me. So, in wow. other words,
0: there is no gray area; it's just plain illegal.
3: Yeah, nailed it.
0: Okay, so uh, we remember when this all came about. Uh, Premier Win, the former Premier Win, initially said 40 stores. Then uh, Doug Ford came in and said, okay. "No, we're gonna we're gonna blow it wide open," and then restricted yep. it back to 25 stores. Uh, yep. What what are the issues as stores, uh, you know, ready to open April first?
3: Wow. Oh man, this is a long laundry list right now. Um, okay, so you can imagine as a as an entrepreneur, when Doug Ford made that announcement, all of our ears perked. I'd be like, "Hey, this is this is this is our chance. This is something we've been waiting and prepared for for a long time. Let's jump on it." So then you start building out your pro your pro formas. You start getting your Excel spreadsheets out. You start doing your dog and pony shows in front of all your different investors and board of directors. Pitching everybody on this, we're talking literally no less than a thousand thousand hours of work between a full team of people, and and we believe that we had a very strong shot if it was a merit-based system to acquire a license to sell cannabis out of a store legally. Um, literally less than a week before we were supposed to have applications ready to submit, even though we didn't know what was needing to be included in that application, we just did everything but the kitchen sink is when they said, no, you know what, instead of a 1,000 stores, there's not enough supply. We're only going to allow for 25. And instead of a merit-based system, which makes a lot more sense in my opinion, we're going to have it a total, total random lottery. And it's only going to cost you $75 to enter this lottery. And as long as you're an adult, you can do it. But we're going to request that nobody applies unless they're competent financially and uh, with enough strength to be able to actually pull this off. So, in other words,
0: uh, you have to be an entrepreneur. You've got to be a small business person in order to make this happen.
3: Uh, yeah, that's what they were hoping for. And their one mandate was to ensure that the licensed producers weren't able to tap into this. Um, they wanted to allow for the mom and shops, the small business community leaders, to be able to participate in this. Similar to how the black market dispensaries were operating, because a lot of them did have great community outreach. They did do a lot of great things for the community. Uh, there's a, a, a friend of mine that's a local from Hamilton, that's un- unfortunately overseas now working, Um but he was also involved quite heavily in some mental health organizations doing a lot to give back, and that's what they kind of wanted to open up for people to be able to do, but do it in a legal standpoint. Um That unfortunately wasn't the case because everybody and their grandmother put an application in that had $75, and, excuse me, of course, licensed producers always find a way to be able to kind of tap into this, so... It does seem like we are one of the very few that have uh, got into a consulting agreement with one of the lottery winners. That is a community-based company, not backed, not funded, not financed, or influenced by a licensed producer. Uh, we're agnostic and objective. And I think that's one of the the niches that we have. And from what we're told by the AGCO, AGCO these are the kind of relationships they were hoping to facilitate. But to be candid, they made it very, very, very challenging for the small guys to do it. Because even though we did raise a heap of money to be able to pull this off, we don't have a billion dollar public backing that if we got disqualified for some reason or another or if we weren't, if our location was declined, blah, blah, blah. And these are things that we didn't know until literally days ago, literally days ago. We couldn't start writing 10, 20, $50,000 checks to to get this going because, of course, that would have been lost money. And a small business (laughs) losing $50,000 is a pretty big hit. Whereas, you know, if a company like Tweed, Canopy Growth, loses $50,000, you know, that's that's, yeah. that's like three seconds of their, their labor budget.
0: So this is not just a supply issue. This is trying to get a business up and running in a very short period of time.
3: Oh, without question. I, I do truly believe that they were able to crunch their numbers well enough to say that, say confidently, that there is enough supply to meet 25 stores' demand um i i'm we are expecting some form of supply issues particularly with specific popular items or strains um some people might prefer others and those will probably be in high demand word will spread quick and you might run out of those particular items faster but i do believe that there is enough cannabis to be able to facilitate 25 stores um this is way beyond the supply issue right now this is a mad dash to pray and get all of your ducks in a row to make sure that you're still abiding by all of the AGCO rules, and, of course, meeting the community demand, because everybody's staring at us right now to open April 1st, and it's just flat out impossible for us. Like, it, it's not possible.
0: So uh, if there isn't the supply or barely the supply for 25, then is that a sensible reason to to limit it to that number at this time? Like I said, the previous government, 40, and then initially this government said, I don't know, a 1,000 or so. Um, I don't know where I'm getting that number from, but I remember that being bantered around uh, in the end yeah. game. Um, but, but so obviously, if if uh, you know if it was 40 stores, then we'd be having shortages. Is that would would that be accurate?
3: Um, based on the numbers that they have, I do believe. Obviously, like that's almost twice as many. Um, yeah. So obviously, uh, you'd have a similar, almost twice as much supply would be required. I think you would be starting to run into a little bit more trouble and in other provinces that launched uh launched before us there were massive supply issues they had stores that were shut down sometimes weeks at a time and startups can't survive like that i've uh started a few different startups here and hung on by a thread sometimes and you know uh, it's it, it's impossible to maintain an operation like that particularly when you're throwing 400 to a million 400,000 to a million dollars into renovations and your original inventory and then all of a sudden you run out of that inventory and you can't sell anything so you're just burning cash
0: so what state is your store right now and and what is preventing you from opening april one?
3: Ooh, okay i'm actually in the store right now uh it is prepped and ready for a build out uh we've had a few of our own internal curveballs like most uh like i'm assuming probably everybody else has um, we have to wait one more day for public opinion to be uh, put forth, any negative opinions? So we're not anticipating anything out of the ordinary. Um, we then have five days to respond to that. So that immediately takes us past April 1st. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, again, this is kind of the, the chicken and egg theory. Like I, because we've been operating legally in, in the town of Dundas for over two years now and, not, and been welcomed with open arms, I don't see any reason why having a store that's illegal is going to change anybody's opinion with respect to having a cannabis store. Um, so I don't think there's many valid reasons for us not to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to reading any that are potentially there, but let's say somebody does find a valid reason and all of a sudden, you know, we have to push back and maybe get a minor variance or sit down with the counselors, sit down with the Rotary Club, start meeting with the AGCO again and deal with these different measures. We, why, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't start construction until we know that the town is going to welcome us with open arms and we pass all of the tests with flying colors. So you're sitting here kind of stuck, waiting for responses and waiting for the actual procedures to go through before being able to start swinging hammers.
0: So this, theoretically, this store, the interior of this store hasn't even been decorated yet. It hasn't even been done.
3: It has not been decorated, no. It is still, there's still a team of people in front of me right now that are prepping. Um, doing as much as we can without ex- without incurring too many unnecessary expenses until we get through all of the formal procedures. Um, and of course, uh, we're 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 merely consultants here, helping out with uh, helping uh, supplement Santino's cannabis knowledge, and to be able to help guide him with respect to the community relations and what type of products are available and blah blah blah. He's uh, he is the owner and operator of this, so we need to make sure that we're keeping him. Um, uh, making sure that we are doing everything that's according to his standards as well. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and certainly uh, it's, it's not easy, but it's a challenge that we are willing to accept, and everybody that entered this lottery knew that this is, this is ultimately what's going to happen. But I'll, I'll be candid, it's, uh, it's been a little bit more than we were anticipating, that's for sure.
0: So how are any of these stores going to be open on time? Like, how, what would they be doing differently that allowed them to get all this done?
3: A few of them were able to get their, their applications in to the AGCO before us. Uh, they had less moving parts in their contracts as with their consultants that they were working with. And some of the, most of the lottery winners, in fact, I believe more than 20, had partnered with a subsidiary that was owned by a licensed producer that had already rolled out retail stores in different provinces. Right. Um, so there, it was pretty much a rubber stamp, and their 15-day waiting period was up a little bit sooner because they already had contracts in place that they could replicate. We were kind of shooting from the hip a little bit to be able to find out how much, uh, how much help we were able to give Santino, how much help Santino was wanting us to help out with. And, of course, our own personal relationship needed to be ironed out in our contracts with him. Right. Then, of course, going to the regulatory authorities, making sure that it's all kosher with them as well. A lot of back and forth. Similar to if you're getting somebody building out your house, like a contractor or a designer, sure. sometimes it's bottlenecked with just approvals, being like, you know what? I don't like the fireplace there. Hmm. I want it a little bit higher. I want it over there. Then it's back to the drawing board for them. Then they come back three days later, right? Right. So there was a lot of that. and Next thing you know, you know, 14 to 20 days are gone, and sure. that, was, that was a third of your time to build out. So, uh,
0: as you mentioned, 25 stores uh, theoretically can open in Ontario on April 1st. Uh, Also, as you mentioned, they cannot be involved with a licensed producer, sorry, owned by. But what is the involvement that uh, organized uh, producers, licensed producers can have?
3: I believe they are able to own up to 9.9% of one of these retail stores. Um, So they can have some degree of influence and some degree of ownership everybody's kind in in
0: one location or in various right.
3: locations in in one location right
0: so of these 25 stores that were handed out how many of them are associated with similarly to you are uh, you are are they associated with licensed producers
3: um so i uh, just to clarify we're we're not affiliated with the licensed producer here at Hello Cannabis uh, we have contra- uh, on the medical side we have, we work with many 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 different licensed producers but We are not owned or operated or influenced by any at all, Um, whereas many of the lottery winners had partnered with companies, say, like High Tide or Mm. Spirit Leaf or Tweed, um, where these are subsidiaries of licensed producers. So uh, we have Spirit Leaf, so you've got Aurora, uh, you've got Canopy Growth. Um, fire and flowers another derivative of a different licensed producer So flowers. those
0: those would have a little bit of an advantage over you guys simply because they've got more money and organization behind them
3: Without question yeah. absolutely it's a it's a it's a fun little David and Goliath story we're at right now
0: So what happens when you don't open April 1 do all these fines start happening I mean you start incurring all these fines
3: yeah, we're going we're gonna to get slapped with a few, uh, a few penalties by not being able to open April 1st, uh, and I will be very surprised if more than five are open on April 1st.
0: Wow. And how much could this uh, – so when are you hoping for? Are you hoping for the 20th? Uh,
3: that, is, that is the next sprint. Um, I think if we work absolutely flawlessly, which is um, uh, rare, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in the game world, not, not much happens according to plan. We can be open by April 20th, but uh, we are to really trying to manage expectations and say uh, we're we're, we're going to be we're going to be upset with ourselves if we don't open in April. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, if um, they, if you go, go from, from
0: the uh, April 1st to 20th, that's 20 days. How much how many how much money in
3: fines would you incur? Thirty-seven and a half thousand dollars. All right, at least
0: you got it all figured out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, it makes <laughs> sense in my head. Executing is a lot. That's different, it.
0: I guess you always know that as a small business person, how much it's costing you. Uh,
3: yeah. All right. You, so you do count your pennies.
0: So uh, any any uh, uh, what would you say to uh, consumers that are waiting for April first?
3: Uh, they might have to wait a lot longer, and likely they will, unless they don't mind driving taking a road trip to visit one of the first uh, legal cannabis stores. I, I do believe. One in Burlington will be ready on time. Um, I was speaking to a gentleman that uh, is up in Toronto at the Honeypot. I believe he will be open on time. He's he's at least confident. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn and, and mm. going to piss him off. I'm actually trying to help him.
0: Right. <laughs> um,
3: but uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a mad dash, and no matter how much money an organization you have, very few people are still able to pull this off just based on all the on the all the hoops that everybody, all these lottery winners have had to jump through and. We're trying our best to, for the. We're trying our best to be able to help Santino jump through these quite clearly, um, but it, it certainly isn't easy.
0: Stephen Verbeek has been with us consulting uh, one of the stores that is opening up in Hamilton in Dundas, uh, and that is uh, Hello Cannabis. Stephen, thanks so much for yeah. the time and insight; much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about today. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, uh, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Everything from the SNC uh, situation to bizarre story breaking this afternoon. Uh, Jesse Smollett, uh, criminal charges have been dropped. This is uh, very bizarre. Uh, Let's bring in Alyssa. We'll talk about all of this. Alyssa, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
2: As always, Scott, it's a juicy afternoon. It
0: is a juicy afternoon. Let's start with SNC-Lavalin because that seems to be where the most juice is in any given day for the last week or so. Anyway, uh, your thoughts, uh, and this is right in your uh, wheelhouse, uh, SNC-Lavalin, last week their CEO came out and basically said, I didn't say anything that like similar to what Justin Trudeau or Gerald Butt said in the sense that 9,000 jobs would be lost. Uh, if uh, SNC was not given a preferred agreement, uh, and as well, there's a good chance the headquarters could move. The CEO denied all of that, and then it turns around that uh, SNC comes out and, and basically says, well, what we said was this will all help protect jobs. How do, you, how do you explain what happened there in the public relations department of SNC-Lavalin?
2: Well, you know, I have to think that as soon as the CEO walked back those remarks, I have to think that that only adds another sort of veneer of I don't know. if is is a confusion. Is a that always
0: did we lose her?
2: Operate on the up and up. They say one thing, they say another thing, and all they're doing is saying things that will protect them, whether they're true or not. So you know, when when you start to see that and you wonder why if that was the case, that Trudeau wanted to protect them, then you're thinking, well, what exactly are you protecting? You're protecting somebody who isn't even as, who doesn't want to even play on the up and up with you. So there's that. You know, and the other thing is, you know, with the whole thing with Jody Raybould and Wilson Raybould and, and Jane Philpott, then there's this other tempest in a teapot brewing that there is more information to be released and how this information is going to be released that I have to tell you from my perspective, you know, what is going on? And it's sort of this childish game of well, maybe we'll say something, maybe we won't, and we're not going to let you know exactly what
0: we know. You know, I wrote in a commentary, this kind of is like watching uh, two kids in a grocery store screaming and yelling and yanking the things off the shelf, and the kid, and the parents just saying, hey, don't touch that, kids, or there's no ice cream. Be good, be good. Why does he not make the call here, meaning the Prime Minister? Uh, clearly, he does not want her to speak in fear of what she is going to say, yet he wants to keep her... Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, inside the Liberal Party, as as she's been committed to, uh, because obviously it it appeals to two major segments, the female gender and the Indigenous community. Can he continue to play both sides of the street?
2: No, he can't. And I think that at one point this ship has to sail. So, you know, I I can't help but think, Scott, that the SNC-Lavalin issue is maybe just the tip of the iceberg with all of this maybe there are some other things that they want to reveal. And SNC-Lavalin is just, you know, one of the first things. So I I honestly have to believe that there's something else going on here and there's something else at play. There are others who suggest that they are working on a full-blown coup, which, you know, honestly, if they do have a plan for this, they're executing it, uh, you know, like clockwork, because, you know, every day, every week, there's some little uh, tidbit that's being dropped in order to cause confusion and consternation, not just among the government itself, but also the public. Why, you know, not expelling them from caucus? this has been the big issue all over talk radio. Why are they still in caucus? Yeah. And I think that the ship has sailed that this is well beyond the feminist agenda. This is well beyond the indigenous agenda. This is about two members of the Liberal Party in the caucus who are intent on having some sort of agenda to cause disruption. And if that's the case, and you're the prime minister and you have the power to do so, I think you have to expel them. Now, I don't know what expelling means vis-à-vis does that give them the license to talk and to say whatever they want to say. I don't know. Maybe that's one of the things holding him back. But, you know, Trudeau has acted, you know, very swiftly when it came to expelling members of the caucus before. But this one, he seems to be dragging his feet because he feels that perhaps this whole notion that he's a feminist and he supports Indigenous affairs is um, is under fire. But I, I have to say that we're well beyond that now.
0: Yeah, I, again, I they, they keep trying, the liberals keep trying to paint this as if somebody else is attacking them. And it's not. It's a liberal versus a liberal. This is in-house dirty laundry. And they keep you know, like, there's, there's some prominent liberal women that are coming out and almost chastising these two women, basically saying, poor, get off the pot. Well, again, it's up to the Prime Minister to allow that to happen. So why, why are they attacking these people? What kind of strategy is that?
2: You know, I don't know unless there's something else that could be blown open, Scott, that we don't know about. You know, all political parties. Then why whenever, doesn't
0: the, then why doesn't the prime minister just let it go? Then why doesn't he just let it implode?
2: I don't know. I, you know, whenever political parties don't comment on something, it means that they're trying to cover up something else. I mean, that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you're in the absence of providing comment, you hope that you'll sort of keep a lid on everything else. So if that's the case, then it only adds another layer. Of, you know, what the heck is going on here? And by not kicking them out of caucus, you know, first of all, maybe they thought, well, let's not kick them out of caucus because there is no reason to. Well, they're
0: safer in the party. I mean, it's. Well,
2: exactly. You know, keep your enemies close, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. But I can't see how that's working right now. No. And, you know,. Trudeau doesn't have his right-hand man to sort of, like, run down the hall and say, okay, you know, what am I doing about this? He can give him a call, but he's certainly not down the hall anymore. So when you start to sort of put all these disparate pieces together, you know, you had the SNC-Lavalin probe, and you had all the allegations, you had Gerald Butts leaving, you had the four-hour testimony by Jody wilson Raybold. Then you have the committee shut down, saying, okay, we've heard from everybody. We don't need to hear any more. And then you've got Philpott and Rabel sort of dropping, or really Philpott's doing the one that's dropping all the hints, saying, well, you know, this isn't quite over, and we still have more to say.
0: It's like he, want, he wants their votes, but he doesn't want their opinion. What I find just absolutely astounding is that he's sitting back and he's letting the two of them drive the narrative, therefore drive his government.
2: You know, and at some point you'll have to take the heat and hope that it burns out in a news cycle really, really quickly. And should it do that, then, then just throw them out of caucus and develop a new narrative as to why you've thrown them out of caucus. And who knows what that narrative would be. And, uh, you know, who knows how much truth there would be around it, quite honestly. But throw them out of caucus, develop a new narrative, and try and put everything on tilt. So it's really, really complicated, Scott. And I don't know if it needs to be that complicated. But, you know, what is it, that O. Henry quote, the... Well, what a tangled web we weave mm. the more we practice to deceive. I don't know if that's it verbatim, but that's exactly what's going on here. But so, this, you know, it, 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 it makes me as a voter really wonder can we not just get back to business?
0: It's certainly making me wonder if he's got the capacity for the job because it's simple, basic leadership skills. That being said, uh, you know, this Prime Minister is notorious for apologizing. My goodness, Canadians have never felt more guilt in their lives than they had since this guy has been elected, apologizing to everyone for virtually everything, and I'm not taking that away from him. But my goodness, he'll shed crocodile tears on a moment's notice and apologize for something our ancestors did, but he won't own this. I don't get it. This is his is his gig. This is his style. This is perfect for him. Why does he just not fall on the sword, cry like a baby, and apologize to these women and give them what they want? Because he's hiding something.
2: Yes, but you know what? What is it that they want? Do they want him to step down? So if he gives them what they want, that might not be in, in his benefit. And you know, when you talk about apologizing, Scott, I have to say there's been a big lack of apologizing all over this this whole issue, even when Trudeau did the press conference, and they said, well, are you going to say sorry? And he says, oh, well, we'll be apologizing up north at some Inuit reserve or whatever, but, yeah, you know, I'm not going to be apologizing. Well, he, he'll
0: apologize for anyone else, but he refuses to apologize for his own actions.
2: I don't know what's going on here. And I think that what they do, what they're thinking, is that apology equals...
0: Are you there? Did we lose her, Alyssa, Are you there? Yeah. Okay, we have you. All right. Uh, thank goodness. She. She. You found a strong cell. You're back. You've circled around. I love it. All right. Um, have we got to the point where the prime minister's base, uh, the prime minister's base, is starting to question whether he is the person? who they actually think he is. Again, uh, the female vote, the Indigenous community, uh, both very well represented by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Is it that he just can't let that go? And if he does, his base will react. Is this about, no different than Donald Trump, is this about appealing to the base?
2: You know, it's interesting. I had dinner a week ago, and we were talking about uh, Justin Trudeau. And I said, you know, after all that's gone on, would you still vote for him? And these aren't necessarily dyed-in-wool liberals, but they both said, yeah, probably. Yeah. And, you know, I I have to think that the more complicated this gets, this issue gets, the more Canadians are going to start to tune out. And that, I find, to be an absolutely viable uh, thing that could happen. So unless something comes out that is super, super bombshell, J.T.'s base, J.T., that's what I call it, Dustin Trudeau's base mm-hmm. is going to is going to probably stick with him. Because I have to tell you, I mean, if you look at the, the opposition and you look at Andrew Schneer and you look at Jagmeet Singh, I mm-hmm. mean, honestly... The, the,
0: the devil we know better than the one we don't.
2: Andrew Scheer, I mean, honestly, his, his responses thus far have been tepid and dispassionate. Mm-hmm. He doesn't inspire me as a particular leader. Uh, and honestly, I mean you know, I don't necessarily identify with any particular party, but this really um, this could end up working in Justin Trudeau's favor, and I think that everybody in the PMO is just really working overtime to try and keep a lid on this, any way they can.
0: Uh, you talked about the opposition. Obviously, these two, uh, meaning uh, uh, Andrew Scheer and the Prime Minister, are, are total opposites, image-wise. Are we tired of the poster boy image? Are we tired of of all form, no substance? Are are we tired of the the, the sunny ways that that just seem to? <laughs> You know, go on forever and nothing gets done. I mean, at the end of the day, I I think what people are going to question is his depth and and can anything uh, happen to move the country forward. I I think of the situation in, in British Columbia and Alberta where you know he he tried to uh, hold some sort of summit and bring. Uh, the two premiers together over the pipeline issue, uh, sort of sitting above them like he was a lifeguard watching kids in a pool. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's great for bringing people together, but he can't make the call. You know, we buy the pipeline, we're still no closer to completion, and we have two premiers that are fighting with each other from the same party, oddly enough. I mean, it just seems that he can't push it over the gold line. He can make us all feel good, but he's not a result-driven guy.
2: Well, let's look at it this way, Scott. What do the Liberals really need to stay in power? They need Quebec and they need Ontario.'ll:
0: I would it. say they need the female gender, uh, the indigenous community, and Quebec, and I think two out of three of those they've already ticked off.
2: Yeah, but it's still it's just March, Scott. Yeah, yeah it really that's true. Is. yeah. It really is. I mean, people have really, really. You know short attention spans, but I mean, there's been a honeymoon
0: down. up until now as well, right? Yeah, and then it's slowly starting to wear off.
2: Uh, you know, I listen, he has certainly taken a beating that the you know, there is no doubt, but honestly, you know, is his base going to abandon it? Abandon yeah, them him over that. Good I don't point. know. And when you talk about all these things, you know, I mean, listen, really honestly, uh, you know, for me, this for me, uh, you know, this ship has sailed on this issue and. You know, we have problems with our canola exports. So, yeah. you know, we can still be dealing with this, or don't we still have to run the government and 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 sort of you know get back to business? You know, there's that. Um, I I think that, and unless this really unpacks into some huge bombshell, that Canadians are starting to to move on. Now, look what happens south of the border. Okay, you know, the Mueller report came in, and it was a big nothing burger. He punted and said, well. You know, I'm not going to indict him on in all of this, and if you want to, then go right ahead. So, Trump has picked up a narrative and said, "Okay, well, nothing to see here, and this should happen to any other president." And I guarantee you, most people, probably most Americans, have moved on. Yeah. Even the Democrats are trying to. Figure but then, out what but there's
0: been do. some conclusion to allow. Americans to move on. And that it was being, the report is out. There's nothing out here. It just keeps going and going and going, uh, you know, just pretending that we'll just all look in in the other direction. Can the Prime Minister continue to drive with his hands off the wheel like
2: this? Well, I think the first thing he has to do is he has to have um, Wilson Raybould and Philpott out of the caucus. Like that, that to every political onlooker has been uh, a source of question, um, you know, since this whole affair began. That's the first thing. And I think he really has to put his foot down. He's going to say, listen, enough is enough. These people are trying to, you know, undermine the government. And is, is that the type of uh, people that you want in the, liberal, in the Liberal caucus? Is that the type of person that you want representing you? And, you know, they have to go on to a new narrative that will ultimately discredit uh, these two members of the caucus. At the, you know, which may or may not, you know, further discredit his his, uh, support of feminism and indigenous affairs. I don't know. I think that what they're hoping is, Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould, is that they, that that doesn't happen. And that he knows that it's a dangerous game to play and that he'll never do it. And if they do do it, I mean, they're going to have to go to plan B or plan C or whatever that is.
0: And that all could unfold just in time for the next election.
2: Well, they're trying to drag this out as long as possible. Best case, I don't think anybody's trying to right now.
0: I don't think anybody's trying to drag it out, Alyssa. I think yeah, he's just I, I the only that, reason it's on, being dragged. But wait a sec. The only reason it's being dragged out is because of his lack of action. Either fish or cut bait. Either let her speak
2: or fire her. End of story. No? Well, that, that's true. But, you know, when you have James Fulpot giving interviews to McLean's magazine and saying, well, there's much more to to uh, be said here. I mean, it, it, you know, he's being played on both sides of the coin. You yeah. feel that they have him trapped. And I think you just take the lesser of two evils and cut bait.
0: Alyssa Freeman's been with us, public relations consultant principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated.